This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Please grab a seat. I want to let you know where we're going over the next few weeks. Uh, If you're a guest, it's good for you to know this as well. We are a church that normally we teach through chapters of the Bible. We go through a book of the Bible chapter by chapter. And uh, that's typically what we do, but at the beginning of this year, there's some things that I really felt like, our leadership team felt like God was having us uh, look at and and talk about. And so um, we started Genesis some months back, finished Genesis part one. Um, It is a long book. I think we've done the first 19 chapters or so. And so first of March, first part of March, we will pick that back up and start walking through the book of Genesis, continue that journey. It's called expository preaching, where we just go chapter by chapter and let God speak through his word. But before that, today and over the next few weeks, there's some things that God has put on my heart, on our leadership team's heart, that we really wanted to and felt like God would have us address and look at because we're trying to front load this year with some very helpful biblical principles to kind of get handles on what, what life can look like this year and the kind of life God wants us to live this year. And so to do that, I I need to start today by asking you a very simple question. Have you ever been deceived? Like you watch the info commercial and they got you. Or, Or have you ever been lied to? When someone lies to you, it damages the trust. They become hard to trust. And it is impossible to have a healthy relationship without a foundation of trust. And that can be rebuilt, but it definitely damages the relationship. Or let me flip it and ask it this way. Have you ever deceived someone or lied to someone? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have ever lied? Hands real high. We're in church. Remember, we're in church. Okay, look around, look around. Keep your hands up. Hands real high. Look around. The people that don't have their hands up, they're liars, right? <laughs> We've all lied. We, we all do that. It's just part of what happens. And as you look back over your life and you think about the lies you've told or the times you've been deceptive, who have you lied to the most? For some of you, it's your employer. I can't come in. <coughs> i got to cough because it's a beautiful day and the beach is like 30 minutes away. And so you just tell that lie. Or, or maybe, maybe some of you, the person you lie to a lot is your spouse, because there's something you've decided is not that big a deal, and you just don't want the conflict, you don't want the argument, and so you just have, you have kind of some, some secrets. Or maybe parents, may, have you ever lied to your kids as a parent? Your kids come up to you and say, hey, can we, and you say this, I'll think about it. You're not going to think about it. You're just, it's a delay tactic. That's just all you're doing. I understand that. I've been there. Or maybe kids, you've lied to your parents about where you're going, where you're going to be, you've, you've deceived them. But who is it in your life, for you personally, who is it that you've lied to the most? Did you know the research is overwhelming? It's not even close. The person that you lie to the most is you. And the person that I lie to the most is me. We have this unique gift, this incredible ability to deceive ourselves. I'll do it tomorrow, but you don't. I can stop anytime, but you can't. I'm fine, but you're not. 
I don't care. But you do. It's not a big deal. But it is. In the Word of God, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That is a strong verse. Like That is a dose of reality. The human heart, I mean, the Bible doesn't say, we would understand, said, hey, the human heart can be deceitful. But, but this passage, this verse, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Like out of everything that could be deceitful, the human heart gets spot number one. It's the reason that a lot of our hopes in a brand new year become unfulfilled. A lot of New Year's resolutions fall flat and empty. Because we spend a lot of time focused on changing external behaviors. And rarely do we take a moment to look at the heart, which is where behaviors come from. We've decided perhaps in 2024, your deal is you're going to stop procrastinating. That's your thing. Or or maybe you're going to spend time with God each day. Or you're going to have a clean diet. Or you're going to hit the gym on a regular basis. You're going to be more consistent. You've got the membership, but somehow you think just because you've got the membership card in your wallet, you don't have to go. Like you got a membership at a gym, so you're good. A lot of people think that way about church too, but that's a separate issue. Uh, This year, I'm I'm not going to argue with my spouse. Like you've got these ideas of what you want the year to look like, but if we're not careful, we focus on tweaking and changing external behavior, which can never be sustained unless there's an internal transformation. Behaviors come from the heart. We know that when we change our habits, we can change our life. But how do we change our habits? It requires God changing our heart. And so this morning, as we stand in the first month of a brand new year, I I need to ask you, where does God need to change your heart? Now, you have two options with that question. One, to honestly ask and evaluate and answer and to to sit with, where does God need to change my heart? Other option is, let it fly over. You've done your time in church. You walk out the doors the same as you came in. One of the options, asking and answering the question, has the potential and the ability to elevate and change your life more than you've ever experienced. The other one, you stay the same. 2024 will look like 23, like 22, like 21. The same drudgery, the same stagnant relationship spiritually, the same chasing different things but never really being fulfilled. I think the beginning of the year is the best time to do a heart checkup. King David prays this prayer in the book of Psalms, chapter 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a deeply honest, very clear prayer and request to God. Why is David praying like this? Because he's hit the bottom. Through a series of events and a series of his own choices and a mess that he made, he's now learning that He needs to have the courage to confront the reality of the fact that he lies to himself. Where where do you lie to yourself the most often? Who or what 
is the lie you tell yourself the most about. When we hit our lowest moments in life, we usually go in one of two directions. I know a lot of people that when life hits rock bottom like it did for David, their instinctually their response is to blame somebody else. Have you ever known people that everything that happens in their life is always somebody else's fault? That's one option. But there's a very different path, and they lead to two very different destinations. The other option is to understand that the only way to change something in your life is to confront the reality of it. To ask yourself the question, how did I contribute to where I am? And if it's a relational struggle or relational pain, the other person may be 90% of the cause, but what did you bring to the party? What is your part of what happened? How did you contribute to where you are? What got David here? Second Samuel in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. A time when kings go off to war, it, it is natural, it is normal, it is cultural, it is leadership, it is expected. And he's king, but he decides not to go at a time when kings go off to war. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Why didn't he go? Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what he thought. But it had to be something in this, in this process. There, there was a series of deceptions, a series of lies he told himself where he started thinking maybe, maybe it went like this. I fought a lot. I lead this army all the time. I, I need a break. I'm just in one of those seasons where I'm, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I've done a lot, I've fought a lot, I, I need a break, and I need to be safe. After all, I'm, I'm the king. I've got to make sure we're all good. And when he's not where he's supposed to be, that is one of the fastest ways to jack your life up. When he's not where he's supposed to be, he walks out on the roof and he sees a woman bathing. And in the language, when he looks at Bathsheba, in the language, it's not he sees her and he keeps on looking around his rooftop. In the language, it paints the picture of when he sees her, he locks his eyes and he stares and he consumes what he's seeing. And then he decides, I... Maybe he thought, I'm kind of lonely. All the men are off at battle. Uh, I'm going to have one of my guys go bring her to me. She's got to come because I'm the king. And Bathsheba gets there, and probably in his mind he's thinking, we're just going to talk. I'd love to hang out. I'd love to get to know her a little bit better. And through one thing after another, he eventually he has sex with her. But it's just a one-time thing. It's no big deal. Nobody's going to find out. I made a mistake, but God will cover it. God's good. It's going to be okay. It's fine. It's not a big deal. And then he finds out she's pregnant. And then the panic sets in. He calls her husband Uriah home from the battle, thinking that Uriah will go in and sleep with his wife, and then everybody will think it's Uriah's kid. The problem is Uriah, as a foot soldier, has more integrity than David as a king because Uriah comes home and he won't sleep with his wife because his men are fighting a battle and he feels like that would let them down and that would be hypocritical to them. He has more honor as a foot soldier than the king has. And when that doesn't work, David sends word and has Uriah sent to the front line so he'll be killed, and that's exactly what happened. And because David lied to himself, not once, but a series of lies, When people, when people blow up their lives and set the stage to absorb more pain than they ever thought they could, it's never because they woke up one day and thought, I'm going to destroy my life. 
it is always a series of small choices where I tell myself this little lie, and then this little lie, and then this little lie, and I deceive myself in this little way, and then this little way, and it puts my life, the momentum of my life, on a journey that is going to end at a destination that I'm going to regret. Because David lied to himself, the pattern of lies he told. He abused his power. He violates Bathsheba. He commits adultery. He wrecks his family. He commits murder. And the baby that's born gets sick and dies. And the fascinating thing to me, through all of that, David didn't see his own sin. All of the decisions, all of the deceitful moments, all of the rationalization, and he didn't recognize his part because he, like you and I, was great at being a master of self-deception. Nobody has ever deceived you more than you deceive you. Psychologists have given this a label to kind of sanitize our condition so we don't have to feel bad about it. Sometimes we just put a label on it that sounds cool and we don't have to feel as bad. And the label they've given given this, it's called cognitive bias. The Bible calls it something else. Psalm chapter 36 says this, In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Do you spend a good bit of time telling yourself how bad you're not? You could be worse. Yeah, I got some issues, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Did you know I, I've, I've literally looked through the Bible. I've tried to find one verse that says we can compare ourselves to somebody else. It's not there. We're told to compare ourselves to Jesus who died for us. And in that comparison, I lose every single time. Like I've never beat Jesus. And you won't either. But we fall into this pattern. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves. I, I know I messed some things up, but I'm trying. Are you really? Do you understand that saying I'm trying doesn't mean you're trying? People are like, I'm trying. This year, this year's going to be a year that I get healthy. I'm trying. We're two weeks in. You had not been to the gym yet. You went that one day and it was really crowded, so you told yourself you'd wait for it to calm down. Have you ever noticed how we put off what we need to do for tomorrow, but we never live at the address of tomorrow? I'm trying. Unless you're doing, you're not trying. I'm trying is a phrase we tell ourselves to excuse the fact that we're not doing jack squat. We lie to ourselves, and somehow we think, we make ourselves feel like, it's coming, it's coming, I'm going to get there, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Some of you, you, you made the same promises to you that you made last January, and the one before that, and the one before that. The deception we embrace is revealed in a few ways. How how do I know if I'm deceiving myself? Well, there are a few indicators that will come up. Some things that we do when we're living in deception, when we're lying to ourselves, there are some things we jump into. And the first one is we chase distraction. We chase distraction. Rather than seeing or acknowledging the truth about my life, we distract ourselves. We dive into work even more. We jump on social media even more. Uh, we, We... Consume as much news as we can and debate, especially in a political year with an election. Man, I'm going to dive into that. I'm going to argue my point in my case and who I think should be president or governor. I'm going to dive in. Some people distract themselves with porn. Some people, it's alcohol and drugs. The temptation 
is to chase distraction instead of facing who you really are. What do you distract yourself from? What is it that you know about you that you've lied to you about and tried to act like it's no big deal? Number two, delusional happiness. You know these people that, when you see them in life, but also in social media, they're always happy? Everything's always great? No, you're delusional. Life is not always great. You're not going to be happy every moment. Like, that, that's impossible. But these people that lie to themselves, oh, it's great, it's great, it's great. No, it's okay that sometimes it's not great. That's called reality. Sometimes you struggle. That's called normal. Some days aren't good. That's just the human experience. But there are some people that, that the way they deal with deceiving themselves is, is they, they, they think, oh, and, and here's, here's, here's how we say it, because this sounds so much better than I'm deceiving myself. I'm, I'm going to manifest that for myself. Show me that in the Bible. But we dive all into delusional happiness. Number three, oh, number three gets a selective judgmentalism. We selectively judge harshly. And you, have you ever noticed we always judge other people more harshly than we judge ourselves? Have you noticed that we figure out what somebody's doing and we'll be very harsh and judgmental toward them, often in an area that we're, we're vulnerable and we struggle with. We excuse away ourselves. We rationalize why it's not that big a deal for me, but we slaughter other people who are doing the very same thing we struggle with. Number four, you're living a life of self-deception if you're easily offended. How much does it take to offend you? Like, do you, do you just get there like that? Culturally, we have moved to the place where we are so freaking fragile. How much does it take to offend you? See, when you're easily offended, it leads to living in a state of defensiveness. And if anyone dares to say that you've got a problem, we, we jump up, no, I don't. It, it, it's not my fault. You just don't understand the situation I'm in. If you knew all the details, you would understand why I act like this, why I say the things I say, why I treat this person like this. You just don't know all the details, and we get very, very defensive. But I've never in my life seen somebody improve their lives by being defensive. Defensiveness is the kryptonite of relationships. Because when we're defensive, we take our corners and we prepare for battle. And I'm not going to let you say that about me. Even if it's true, I'm going to live in a delusion where I'm just going to defend myself and dig in my heels. Have you ever had an argument with somebody that you knew they were wrong and you knew they knew they were wrong, but they just dug their heels in? Hey, if that's happening, you're deceiving yourself. Number five, we breathe cynicism. With every breath, everything's wrong. With every breath, everyone else is the problem. With every breath, there's something negative to focus on. Because somehow, somehow we think if we can focus on the negative things out there, we can avoid and never deal with the negative things in here. David deceived himself. And then what happens to David happens to every one of us when we deceive ourselves. His life completely fell apart. God sends the prophet Nathan to David, and he tells him a story. Hey, king, I want to tell you a story. There's a really rich guy and a really poor guy. And the really rich guy has thousands of livestock, 
tons of livestock. He, he's insanely wealthy. And the poor guy has one little lamb. And the rich guy invites the poor guy over for dinner. But while they're inside hanging out, the rich guy has the people that help him go out and get that one little lamb from the poor guy. And they slaughter that and cook that for the meal. The rich guy has all this livestock and he doesn't touch it. All he does is take the one thing the poor guy had. And David responds, I want to know who this man is. Is he in my kingdom? Who is he? Whoever did this, this man deserves to die. And it's fascinating to me. Even as the story is being told, David is living in such self-deception, he doesn't even recognize himself in the story. He's the king. He's got access to anything and everything. Uriah had one wife. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. Oh, he, he was fast to judge when he thought it was somebody else. But he comes off that death penalty talk when he finds out he's the guy that they're talking about. That's David's sin. What's yours? What problem exists in your life that you're denying? What's the issue that two weeks into a brand new year, you're still dealing with it by not dealing with it. What sin are you rationalizing? And sin feels like such a harsh word, and it is. But sin, according to the Bible, is anything in my life, any action, any word, any thought, that is displeasing to a holy God. Sin is also any action or thought or word that God would want me to be involved in that I don't involve myself in. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. It's basically anything that's displeasing to God. So what sin are you rationalizing? Is it a hidden addiction? Do you find yourself turning to alcohol or drugs to distract yourself instead of turning to Jesus? What is it in your life? Is it that you're rationalizing why it's close to get to, it's okay to get close to someone at the office that you're not married to? And sir, you tell yourself, but nothing's going to happen. She's just really nice to me. We enjoy working together. It just works. We just, we just get along. It's kind of a unique thing. And you're rationalizing. You're, you're flirting with an affair, but you won't call it that yet because you're just, it's just one little deception at a time, one little lie to your spouse at a time, one little thing you hide at a time. And you've told yourself so far it's no big deal, having no idea. You've deceived yourself, yourself and you don't realize you've started a journey. Or for you, is it overspending? <laughs> Your spending is out of control. It's January. You got the credit card bills for Christmas. Dear God. But you're okay. You're okay. You got it under control. No big deal. You'll just spend more this month. It's not a problem. Is it overspending for you? Or, or maybe for you, it's overeating. Whatever it is, you tell yourself you don't need help. Or, or maybe for you, your body's in church, but your heart's not close to God. We focus so much in this month on the external things we want to change, but it never happens unless there's an internal transformation. August the 3rd, I bought, I bought a truck, about a six-year-old truck, low miles. I thought, man, this is smart. This is a good deal. I bought it August the 3rd. And between August the 3rd and last week, 
I had it three days in almost five months. It was in one shop after, I mean, this thing is a cluster buster. It was in one shop after another. The day after we bought it, I'm driving down the road. We're, we're on the way to North Carolina to see the grandkids. And all of a sudden, some really pretty different color lights come on on my dashboard. And I know nothing about vehicles. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They added some pretty lights. That's, that's a good call on the engineer's part, kind of something to kind of throw you some excitement while you're driving. And, and I didn't know what they meant, but I knew, I knew the red one with a square and a lightning bolt over it. That can't be good. Like, I, I knew that one. Okay, it's red. The other one's orange. Uh, that can't be good. I, I know nothing about it. And when those warning lights came on on the dash, man, I, I went to work. I got, the, I got the owner's manual out, which sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I, I have no idea what it means. I, I'm Googling, what do we do about this? We limp into North Carolina, and that truck was in one shop after another shop after another shop. I played the long game and, and decided, you know what, I'm going to ride this thing out because there's a warranty on it. And it ended, I got the truck last week. It's got a brand-new diesel engine, brand-new Cadillac. They, they replaced everything. I didn't have to pay a dime. But it took five freaking months, and I wanted to kill somebody. But it began with some lights going off on the dashboard. If warning lights go off on your dashboard in your car, if you ignore them, it doesn't end well. Like, there's no, hey, warning light's on. I'm going to ignore it. This is going to be a beautiful story I'm going to tell one day. Like, that doesn't even exist. That's not even reality. And there are some warning lights that can come on on the dashboard of our lives. And if you ignore them, it's not going to go well. I desperately, honestly, I desperately want this to be the best year you've ever lived. For months, I've been praying, asking God that this would be a year of, of transformation in your life and mine. And that you would begin to live and, and step into a new dimension of living the life God created you to live. Some of you are doing that, but what are the areas we're missing out on? Let me give you three warning lights very quickly. That if these are there, there's a problem. You need to pay attention. You need to do something about it. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying to yourself. This is an issue. The three warning lights. Number one, it's what people who love Jesus and love you tell you. What people who love Jesus and love you tell you. If a couple of people, two or three people, tell you you have a problem in a particular area, hey, listen, you have a problem. Now, I'm talking about the right people. There are always some wackadoodles that want to give you advice for your life, and you're like, you're giving me advice? Do you not realize, like, you're you? I'm talking about the people that love Jesus and love you. They, they've built credibility because of the relationship they have with you. You feel like this person is an authentic friend. They have my best interest at heart. If two or three of those people say you've got a problem in a certain area, you've got a problem. It seems like you're not present. You're here, but your mind's always far away. Our parents have, have your kids ever said to you, or your spouse, you're on your phone all the time. Come on, come on. It, it's Sunday, which means the screen time came out today for your last week. How many hours a day? You work too much. You drink too much. You don't know how to say no to people because you're such a people pleaser while you live in frustration with the people you won't say no to. What is it in your life? The people who love you and have your best interest at heart have spoken to you, but you've stepped into one of the things, one of the five things we just talked about, whether you deny, you get defensive. It's wise 
if you want a better life, if, if you don't keep doing what you're doing, but if you want a better life, it is wise to take the posture of repentance like David and stop pretending nothing's wrong. I think one of the greatest things you and I can do this week, I started last week, but one of the greatest things you and I can do this week, because I knew the day was coming, was begin to pray, hey God, would, would you search my heart? And when you pray that, watch for what people who love Jesus and love you tell you. It's one warning light on the dashboard of your life. The second one, what you've become good at rationalizing. It's crazy how good we are at rationalizing. I was driving home one day this week, and there's a particular intersection on the way to my house, and it's three lanes, and so I'm always in that middle lane, because I'm going to have to turn right up there, but at this light, the lane on the right is right turn only. Right turn what? Right turn only. So this amazing lady that I'm sure God loves, a little Volvo SUV, pulls up, and she's beside me at the light, and when the light turns green, home slice goes straight. And she honks at me. <laughs> the only thing that saved her is she's a lady. If it was a guy, I'd have punched him in the throat. But, but the reality is, like, I'm doing what's right, and you are so delusional in your mind, you think I'm wrong. Right turn only. Straight is never right turn only. Not in this lifetime. One day, I, do you ever get so frustrated with people? I, I think one of the greatest ministries we could have at C3 is teach the world to drive. We're just going to start a teach the world to drive ministry. The roundabouts in Avalon, crack baby stupid. Like, <laughs> nobody knows how to do that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. But, but this, lady, this lady honks at me. She's rationalizing her own behavior. We, we do it all the time. Where is it in your life that you rationalize? I'm a good driver. No, you're not. <laughs> what have you told yourself? Hey, it's not a big deal. I can handle this. Have you ever spoken one of the most damaging phrases there is to yourself? The phrase is this. I'm not hurting anyone. People who say that, often the primary person they're hurting is themselves. And here's what sucks pond water about hurting yourself. Every single time you hurt yourself, you hurt the people who love you the most. Because they love you. What is it in your life that you just have become so good at rationalizing? I don't have a problem. I, I know what I'm doing. I wouldn't behave like this if you didn't do what you do. Where is it in your life? Year after year, you've convinced yourself it's okay. So you say things like this and you wear a badge of honor not realizing how ignorant you sound. You say things like, this is just who I am. Like, that's something to be proud of? I, I, I thought God was a really big God, and Jesus, if he comes into my life, should be big enough to change the areas that I am who I am into who he wants me to be. Number three, the area of your life that you're the most defensive. That's a warning light on the dashboard. What's the area that you're the most defensive? Somebody says, hey, man, I... I love you, and I don't know how to say this. It's, it's going to be a little bit awkward, but, man, you're my friend, but the way you talk to your wife, I struggle. It's not respectful. You're not honoring her. Have you ever known, known those kind of guys that they think it's cool to stand around and put their wives down? And by the way, women, you have the same disease. 
we get in these little huddle groups and we bash our spouses. And we're defensive if anybody calls us on it. I, I don't have a problem. You, you need to back off. You need to leave me alone. It's none of your business. Someone said, quote, the more convinced you are that you don't have a problem, the more likely it is that you do, end quote. The more convinced you are that you don't have a problem, the more likely it is that you do. For many years, and this, this is hard for me to talk about because I'm ashamed of it, but for many years, the early years of our marriage, I was not a nice person to Angie. Everything about our marriage was what I wanted. Where we would go to eat, it depended on what I wanted to do. Where we'd go on vacation, what I liked. What we would do in life. She, I, I didn't say this out loud. I didn't think deliberately this way. But how I lived was that she was just an accessory to my life. In 2011, it led to a separation. We were filing for divorce. It was over. And, but thank God he restored our marriage beautiful blonde lady that was in the first service. She wasn't just here checking me out. That's my bride. <laughs> but I contributed in profound ways to creating pain and patterns in our marriage and pain and patterns in, or, or pain in her life. And I spent years denying, rationalizing, excusing away, it's not that bad. There are thoughts that I told myself. I knew I wasn't perfect, but I'd say things to myself like, hey, it could be worse. You come home every night. You're not having an affair. Like, you, you don't, and when you do come home at night, you don't come home drunk. Like, you're, you're a pastor. You're trying to do good things with your life. I, I had all of the excuses. But I was wrong. I was being sinful and selfish. And nothing changed in my life until I was willing to confront the reality of my sin. I say that for this reason. That was a painful process. But what God has done in our marriage, what God has done in our relationship, how incredible it is, I would have never gotten to experience if I would have stayed in self-deception. At the beginning of a year, God wants you to acknowledge, look at, be willing to deal with the reality of the things you've been ignoring, some of you for a long time. You cannot change what you won't confront. You cannot change but you refuse to admit. I've never seen anyone blame their way to a better life. You've got to look in the mirror and deal with some hard reality. Stop living in deception. What is it? What is it in your heart and life that if God were to search your heart, he would say, hey, right there. Right there. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We have an amazing opportunity.
at the beginning of a year to do a heart checkup. So how's your heart? I want to encourage you today and every day this week to pray the prayer that David prayed. God, search my heart. Test me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me. How's your heart? Where have you been deceiving yourself, lying to yourself? In this moment, what is God saying to you? What is God showing you about you? And it's okay to acknowledge it. In fact, it's essential if you want a healthy heart, which leads to a healthy life. Have the courage to admit it to God. There's nothing to be afraid of. He already knows. You don't need to be afraid of God. You need to be afraid of what sin and self-deception will cost you. David sinned. But God calls David a man after his own heart. And being a man or a woman after God's own heart is not living with an absence of sin. It's living with an absence of denial and an attitude of repentance. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, thank you so much for the reality of your word, for the truth that you always provide us in a loving way as your spirit takes your word and speaks to our hearts so that we can have an opportunity to respond, to live the life you created us to live. So I pray for every single person in this room that's a Christ follower, that this week we would each day pray that prayer, God, search my heart, and that you would do a work in our lives and that we would not try to slide into the convenience of denial, but we would confront the reality of who we are and what you want to do so that we don't miss the life and the year that you have for us this year. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need of your life is to invite Jesus to come into your life. At the beginning of a year, to invite Jesus to come into your life, to know that after this life you have a home in heaven, to know that in this life you have the Spirit of God living inside you, I I can't think of a greater gift you could give yourself. Hey, today is your opportunity. I can't think of a reason to wait, and I can't think of a reason not to invite Jesus to come into your life. Forgive your sins and give your spirit to live in your life. If you'd like to take that step today, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'll lead you in this prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, the beginning of this new year, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and forgive my sin. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you 
this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.